Honestly, like, when I think back, I'm like, how, how are they not super concerned? Like, <laughs> I would definitely, like, think, what's my son doing? Is there, like, creepy men online giving him presents? Like, what, <laughs> what, what's going on here? You know, but they were, like, I think I explained it to him once. They're like, OK, let's chill. Greetings, USC, and welcome to Spark XM. I'm your host, Mark Pockervon, joined here by my co-host, right-hand man, Grant Glinner. Hey, Mark, what is up? How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day today. It is. Enjoying time in the studio. And to Grant's right and to my left, we have Ricky Hu, our third guest co-host today. Hi, Mark. <laughs> hey, Ricky, happy to have you join us today. Thanks. Very excited to be here. And now, for the man of the hour, we have joining us in the studio today, Xavier DePeta. Xavier, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's great to be here. Of <laughs> course. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and fielding our questions. We're really excited to get into the thick of things. So before we give the floor to Xavier and let him talk about his experiences, I just want to give our listeners a quick background on Xavier and talk about his bio quickly. So Xavier is only a freshman, and as a freshman, he's managed to do some remarkable stuff to earn, him, to earn himself a spot on this podcast so soon. He's a business major who hails all the way from Australia, specifically Shepparton, Australia, just a town of 40,000 people. Look at him in the big city of L.A. now. <laughs> and uh, he co-founded a company called All Day Media, which manages a network of Twitter and Instagram accounts. And this has turned significant profits where they basically collect ad revenue from linked accounts. So he's, uh, and he can go more deep into this, but uh, he's worked with accounts called History and Picks, Earth Picks, and uh, those have millions of followers. And now today he is consulting on the side for a digital media company like Bustle to grow their social media following. So now, enough of my voice and hearing me. Now let's turn the floor to Xavier. So just to start things off, can you give us a quick background on who Xavier is? Maybe three words to describe you? Of course, yes. So uh, Xavier is just some Australian kid at USC, um, born and raised in a small country town and moved to America when I was 18. Uh, lived in LA for about a year, just working on my media startup and some other consulting stuff, and then decided to attend USC in the fall. So you know, all around just an average college kid. And uh, to describe myself, I would say optimistic, energetic, humorous. Cool. So can you take us through the beginning of your process as an internet entrepreneur? How old were you? What were you doing? What sparked this initial interest? Sure. So uh, I really got introduced to the internet when I was about 11 years old. Um, my cousin had come over and she showed me this YouTube video and it was a video of these two teenagers in Sacramento lip-syncing the Pokemon's theme song. Uh, they were a group called Smosh. And at the time, I really wanted to be an actor. My mum had enrolled me in, you know, drama classes and I was doing plays and stuff. But, you know, I was like the tree, you know, <laughs> you know or, or the rock or the grass. So, But still, you know, I really wanted to be an actor and director and all that stuff. And I saw YouTube as an avenue that <clears throat> anyone could do it without any special talent or money or professional equipment. So... 
after that, I saw that video, I started making videos and I didn't even know how to edit videos. So they were all in one take. And finally, after a while, I learned how to use Windows Movie Maker. But just making these short little skits a couple minutes long and I'd share them with some friends and I'd show friends at school. And I thought it was the coolest thing, even though they'd all laugh at me and just just be like, what are you doing? But, uh, you know, I had so much fun doing it. So I just started, you know, creating YouTube videos and got a few hundred views after a couple of months. And then what happened after that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, after I got a few hundred views, I sort of stopped caring about the uh, acting per se, and I really wanted to get into the marketing aspect of it since, you know, it was like dopamine hit right there as soon as you see a few views. So I was really focused on how can I get as many views as possible, and that's when I started looking to different ways to market my YouTube videos. At the time, I was still about 11 or 12, but I had come across something called SEO, which at the time was quite new for YouTube. Uh, you know, it was pretty popular with people trying to get traffic through search engines like Google and Yahoo. But, um, you know, at the time, no one was doing it on YouTube, and YouTube had just been acquired by Google. So I started retagging my videos and describing them more colourfully and editing the titles. And through that, I started getting in the related videos for such and started getting, you know, quite a few more views. And then from there, I um, heard about something called the YouTube Partner Program. So um, I had found these legal documents between Viacom and YouTube in a lawsuit and the discoverings were public. So I uh, found some email addresses in those discoveries <laughs> and uh, I reached out, gave them my story, or probably not, not all the details, not that I was a 12-year-old who, who could barely spell. Um, that's still the case. But uh, I was 12 at the time too, so, um, so you know, it was just emailed them about the program and I asked if I could join and the next thing I know I was in the YouTube pilot of the partner program which at the time was only about 1,000 to 1,500 users and that was, you know, preceding all these MCNs and all these other ways to make money from YouTube. But before then everyone was just making YouTube videos for the fun of it. Now it's, you know, a real business. So... After you sort of conquered YouTube, then you came across something called Twitter. Right. So <laughs> what happened What happened with Twitter? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd done YouTube. Wait, quick question. What was your, like, end achievement with YouTube? How many views did you start getting so, towards the end? Towards the end total, uh, it was probably about 30 to 35 million views. Yeah, yeah what, so what, what type of videos were you exactly posting? So um, after I started doing the, sketch, the sketches and the vlogs, you know, I started reviewing music videos. And, yeah, I was that person who would review music videos. Um, so I would, you know, find these new songs and I would talk about them and I would tag my videos in, you know, possibly a deceptive way. And uh, I'd change the thumbnails to, you know, uh, something that looked like a music video. So I started making these videos and that's when I started getting a lot more views. So in the course of about eight months, I got about 30 million views. And, you know, before then, in total, across my sketches and vlogs, I maybe had three or four million views. Uh, the difference was people enjoyed the sketches and vlogs. They did not enjoy a 14-year-old prepubescent boy deceiving them when, <laughs> when they just wanted to listen to some Rihanna. So, um, yeah, so I just started doing that and, you know, had quite a few views and was monetizing that and making... You know, great income. You know, not great income regardless. And I was fourteen, so it was. Oh it was yeah, fun. that ad revenue must be huge. Yeah. The ad revenue was definitely, definitely decent. Definitely a bit of pocket money. You know, <laughs> didn't didn't go without any lunches. So um, yeah. So we got, we got sort of bored with YouTube because you know I wasn't really doing anything. wasn't creative at all. And you know, everyone started doing it. So I just sort of got bored of it. And uh, then yeah, then, but on YouTube I met this uh, this 
kid called Kyle Cameron. He was only a couple of years older than me, but he was doing some really interesting marketing stuff that, you know, was just some revolutionary and that a lot of people adopted later. So I kept in close contact with him. And then later on, we started making Facebook pages together. So we started with uh, one called Long Romantic Walks to the Fridge, and then we started to make a, just making a few more stupid, you know, Facebook pages. And we uh, kept building the followings by leveraging the old pages. And before we knew it, we had about 10 million likes over the course of three months, just over the summer of... On Twitter? Uh, this was on Facebook. So on we, Facebook. Yeah, then so we went to Twitter. Just uh, for clarity, what was the timeline on this? What Around what year right, was so this? Yeah, so YouTube was about tw- uh, 2007 to 2009, and then I started Facebook in about 2010, the summer of 2010. Okay, so that's that's around when all of those novelty Facebook right, exactly. pages were really novelty. starting to get Yeah, popular. the really okay. novelty ones, the one that you definitely regret liking. And the that, ones that still show up with yeah. a, a little link to something <laughs> yeah, today that, that I just... Unfollow. That's, that's spam you with some something that you're just dying to know. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was started making these Facebook pages and they were getting quite a bit of traction and, um, you know, didn't think there was a way to monetize the Facebook pages and, you know, at the end of summer I'm like, I, I want to start concentrating on school. So I found someone interested in the Facebook pages and they paid, you know, an, a nominal amount compared to what they'd be worth today. But, you know, sold them off and, again, was back to square one, um, but, you know, still close with Kyle. And When you say nominal amount, uh, how many followers do those accounts have now that makes them so valuable? Well, I'm not too sure now. They've probably, uh, they've probably died out since they were mm-hmm. sort of mismanaged afterwards, but at the time they had about 10 million likes. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to buy about 10 million engaged likes in the countries that were following, which was Australia, the UK and the US, you know, very valuable demographics... You know, you'd be looking at well over, I want to say, you know, two, three hundred thousand. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's not what you sold it for. No, right? no, I sold them for two, three thousand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, pennies on the dollar, literally. But, um, you know, at the time I didn't really see the value of them and I thought two, three, two, three thousand dollars for stupid Facebook pages? What <laughs> fools? Like, yeah. like, I got them suckers, you know. Uh, I thought I was selling snake oil, but, you know, I didn't realise that having 10 million people in front of you, you can sell stuff to them. That's pretty valuable. So, um, yeah, so, you know, sold the Facebook pages and had a bit of bit of uh, cash in my pocket, but, you know, didn't really care about just wanted to start focusing on school. But, uh, you know, back again, Kyle, I guess that kid's just so bored he had to do something, so he started annoying me. And uh, So who's this kid again? Yeah, so Kyle, uh, Kyle Cameron, uh, he was an early YouTuber and one of the most subscribed comedians back in about 2009. Um, and then I started creating Facebook pages with him. So we were just close friends. We'd done a little bit of work together, but... You know, I wouldn't say we were business partners at that point, per se. Um, but, yeah, we just remained really close friends and just, you know, just outside, even outside of, like, Facebook pages and YouTube, we just related on a lot of stuff since we are both similar ages in, like, this new space that was starting to get more commercialised, so there was a lot more older people coming into it. Um, so, yeah, and uh, in about 20... So, yeah, Facebook pages were about 2010, 2011, and then, uh, yeah, Twitter started around 2011, 2012, so... Kyle had acquired a Twitter page that was something like, you know, love quotes or swag quotes or just something ridiculous, you know? Something that you make fun of, like the stereotypical Tumblr teens that they would follow, you know, backwards and all that. So he'd acquired this uh, pretty inactive page for a nominal amount. It was definitely, you know, a couple hundred dollars, you know, maybe $300 and, you know, maybe get 100 retweets per post. So 
It wasn't super engaged, but uh, from there we decided, OK, well, we have this following and we've learned how to leverage followings in the past. Why don't we do it again? So, you know, I wasn't really thinking that at the time. He sort of was, and he kept saying, hey, you know, you should come and make some Twitter pages with me. You know, we've, we've done it twice. Let's let's do this with Twitter. And I'm just like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. You enjoy that. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't, didn't really see the potential in it. I just thought it'd just be another time waster. But uh, eventually, just so he would get off my back, I'm like, oh, like, all right, I'll be a pushover. I'll try, I'll try it out. Like, I'll try it. It's not going to go well, and then he can leave me alone forever. <laughs> so um, I, I made a page, and uh, I made a page which was a fictional... It was a parody of a fictional character, Alan Garner from The Hangover, which is Zach Galifianakis. Um, you know, it is, you know, very funny guy, so we thought it would turn well into a page. So uh, I created that page and, you know, just started sharing a few jokes that I'd seen on some other teen humour pages on Twitter. And within a day, it had about 10,000 followers. And, you know, again, back to that dopamine hit you get when you, like, get a lot of likes or retweets or comments or whatever and anything, you know. It's, it's, it's pretty sad that that does that to us, but it does it. So I thought 10,000 followers, like, that, that's incredible and wasn't thinking about the monetization aspect at all, just sort of, like, that number. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start doing this. Like, this, you know, Kyle was right. So we started making quite a few, uh, you know, accounts, just, like, fictional characters of Will, you know, whoever Will Farrell would play in a movie, like the Step Brothers characters or other Hangover characters or just sort of funny, well-known characters. And, um, you know, so we started doing those and we started posting these same old jokes and uh, then we started making pages for memes, uh, like, you know, Bad Luck Brian and... Um, Grumpy, grumpy ass cat, and just you know all all those memes that you would see on Reddit, and they were definitely getting a bit of traction. All our, we had a f quite a few Twitter accounts with a hundred thousand to three hundred thousand followers, but we decided to make a page for condescending Wonka, and at the time it was a, it was a pretty dead meme. You know, someone had done about three condescending Wonka posts on Reddit. Conde condescending you, Wonka. Wonka. Can you explain that for <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah, people so, who so are not as familiar with the meme yeah, scene? So, so condescending Wonka, it's uh, based off. Willy Wonka from Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and it would just be something like oh blah 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 and just say it in a condescending tone like I, I can't even like, remember oh you have a podcast you must be really cool yeah 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 but I mean <laughs> that, that's a truthful statement but you know normally yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah so exactly just sort of a condescending tone and um you know, I'd seen a couple of these on Reddit. There wasn't that many. They maybe had a few upvotes. And on Quick Meme, there wasn't really mm -hmm. any. So, but, but me and Cole, you know, we were laughing at them. And we thought, hey, why don't we test this out into a page and see how it goes? So we decided to create a Twitter page for it and started making these condescending Wonka, you know, tweets just from anything we'd see around our life and especially just what was happening, like, that time. It might have been, like, um, like for a raid on Facebook. We'd just make jokes about, like, you know, t trending stuff that time that people were doing. And, uh, you know, instantly it started blowing up, you know, just growth I'd never seen before. So I knew there was something special about that account. And uh, at the time I was about to go on a trip to Italy with my school. That was, you know, pre-planned for quite a bit of time, but I was pretty upset because I'm like, I'm going to be in Italy and I'm not going to have any cell phone reception or any access to a computer and, you know, it's going to hit a million followers. I'm going to miss <laughs> that milestone, you know. <laughs> Um, but so it was just, it was fantastic. And then, uh, you know, so Condescending Wonka did hit their million followers and all the other accounts were growing and that's when we started hearing about ways to monetize Twitter. So we heard from a friend about a network called MyLikes and then another one called ChaCha. 
and they were paid per click network. So uh, they would give you some affiliate links to post, maybe to a weight loss supplement or a new television show or, you know, some apparel or even just a funny article. <coughs> and you would get paid for every click, whether someone stayed on the site for 10 minutes or bought a product or left instantly. So it was a pretty good model and they were paying, you know, a decent amount. It was about 2 to 50 cents per click, normally on the 2 cents side, but <coughs> occasionally did see it up the way of 50 cents. And uh, so we'd post on these accounts and, you know, get thousands of, you know, thousands of clicks a day. Um, and, you know, again, this was in about 2012. And just from our few Twitter accounts, me and my partner were making about $15,000 a month. Each. 15 or 50? Oh, wow. 15, 15, yeah. So at that time, it just started around 15. And we're just like, this is insane. You know, again, yeah. it's 16. And a, I'm, in a, I'm in a small, yeah, <laughs> I'm in a small country town. So, uh, you know, not even driving cars. I'm like not even trying to spend this money at all. My dad was an entrepreneur and that's sort of like what inspired me. He was a big risk taker and I guess one thing that I really liked about my parents, you know, I love them absolutely, but I really liked that they were like, let me do my own thing and they weren't watching over my shoulders, you know, so many, had so many friends with like hover parents mm -hmm. and absolutely I would have done none of this if my parents were like on my shoulder all the time. I was just absolutely not. I would have been like, yeah, I have to do homework if they're going to watch me because you know, I'd really never do homework, but I always had good grades, so my parents weren't really concerned. But I know, you know a lot of parents would be like, you got to do the three hours a night, whether you need it or not. And that's sort of, that's just sort of how it, life is a lot of times. Like, yeah, you got to put in this amount of time. It doesn't matter the output. It's just they really care about how much time is put in. So I was really lucky, um, and my parents were pretty, you know, yeah, relaxed about it to that point. Yeah. Something I'm wondering, I guess to you it might seem like a trivial question because now, now you know the whole formula well, <laughs> but when you say you posted, you created a Twitter account and within a day it had 10,000 right. followers. Yep. To some people, to achieve that in a day and do it consistently is just unbelievable. Right. So how, what, what, what's your formula to getting that type of growth yeah, so quickly. Yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing obviously is that you need an existing following to leverage to get it to that fast. So, mm -hmm. you know, to do that today, you might want to buy promotions from existing accounts or, you know, somehow partner with an account to do that. But, you know, definitely you can't just have an account post great content and hope that someone stumbles upon you and it goes yeah. viral. So the biggest thing is having some big following promote you, whether you own it already or you're just you know, purchasing a shout out and just look at it like an investment. And then, you know, second of all, back in Twitter those days, so what we would do is uh, probably post 10 to 24 tweets a day. Um, we'd, we'd put them in a scheduler, Hootsuite, and then throughout the day we would retweet them on that, you know, account with a bigger audience. And then maybe once or twice throughout the day we would make a joke and be like, hey everyone, go follow Alan Garner for The Hangover. One thing that I did do, looking back on it, was uh, I said, uh, everyone who goes follows this account, I will give you a uh, card to the wolf pack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen The Hangover. Yeah. 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 So I think I got some followers that way. But it's just, you know, just sort of have fun with it and post uh, interesting stuff that people are going to like. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, the biggest piece of advice I can give is, like, have an existing following to leverage. People will always come up to me like, what hashtag should I use? And it's like... No, you just—it's not going to work at all. Not, <laughs> you need to have some way to get people to see that content, no matter how good it is. If you 
can't get people to see it, and it's just going to sit there. Yeah. So, so this this really like became. I mean, like obviously at first you were doing it for fun, right. like on YouTube and yeah. stuff. But then you realized that like this could be a business, sort of. Absolutely, yeah. So, and I sort of I thought. <laughs> You know, just back to being just a teen in a country town in an absolute bubble. I'm just like, why isn't everyone doing this? It's just so easy. Like, <laughs> I'm asking myself that right it's now. It's taking me like 90 minutes a day, and I'm just like, how does anyone complain about like? I mean, because honestly, we spend that much time on social media anyway. Absolutely, so. yeah. Just right. why not make money at it at the same time? And I think the difference is you figured it out much earlier yeah. than most people right. who are doing yeah. it. Because now, if you look on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, pretty much any major account is doing this to exactly. some degree. Yep. Yeah, no, everyone's making money from accounts now, but you know, yeah, back in the day it wasn't so big. But, yeah, so, I mean, people caught on to it, but um, there's still people out there making a lot of money just today from most of the accounts you'll follow. And, yeah, if you're not, if you're not paying for anything, you're definitely being sold. So, like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are making, like a lot of teens just like me, are, you know, making money from Instagram and Twitter and Facebook still just from posting stupid stuff. So, but yeah, at the time I just, what, what was the initial question again? What were you saying about the, uh, it was, I, uh, how you're able to kind of turn this hobby oh, into a business. Yeah, into, oh, exactly. Into a yeah. So, yeah. So once it was a bigger revenues and I'm like, okay, this is something serious and this is a business. And then we, we started to look at it more like a business in terms of like revenue goals. But again, we weren't doing any budgeting. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's no cost. Yeah. <laughs> no, no cost. Like, you know, just, it's just a horribly run business, but like great cash flow. you know, that most small businesses would kill for that. People are slaving, you know, trying to break even, and here we are, like, just a few mouse clicks. So, um, you know, thought of it as a business, but didn't really look into business operations or a business plan or anything mm -hmm. like that. I mean, I registered a, a incorporated a company in Australia, but that was just for tax purposes. Luckily, mm -hmm. my father was an accountant, so, you know, otherwise I would have been, oh. been in a big mess. Probably would have been in jail right now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but... Um, so, you know, he really helped me with a, a type of, like, filing reports and you know paying taxes and all that mm -hmm. but yeah so I started to think of more of it more as a business but also like I didn't think okay I'm going to get offices for this I'm going to hire employees I always thought of it as something that I'd just do on the side and I'd, I'd do I'd do real business stuff I'd build properties and own stores and stuff like just I, I still didn't really think of the internet as a real job you know I thought brick and mortar was the only that was a real job you know but um, so I still sort of sort of it, okay, this is a great way to make income, but it's passive income, and I'm going to do something like else. Mm. So, yes, what's the end story with Twitter? Yeah, so with Wait. Twitter, yeah, so we were making, uh, you know, a decent amount of money per month, and it eventually got to up, you know, $50,000 each some month. In, no, 50? Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah, that wow. was really uh, some, some of the best months. And uh, but then we were approached by a, a business person in LA who said, and and fifty thousand that was coming from EarthPix. Uh, not not EarthPix at the time. It was a lot of these uh, meme accounts. So mm. yeah, we actually well EarthPix was in one of the fifty thousand dollars a month. But uh, even before EarthPix, we were making it just from some of these accounts. But when they there were some really high paying promotions, like the you know Jessica Simpson when she was releasing a new show, NBC had a big budget and was paying fifty cents per click and. You know, it was difficult. It was difficult to get clicks on that more so than like here's a funniest scene your pranks, but it wasn't, you know, 25 times as difficult. So, right. it, it, you know, those were definitely the heydays of it all. And as you said, like a lot of people weren't doing, 
weren't doing it, so, you know, there was less supply of it um, and, you know, demand was higher. So, you know, it was pretty interesting in that aspect. Um, but, yeah, so the end, the end story with Twitter, so after we made these parody accounts, we started to realise that, you know, OK, people are getting bored of these and that they start to unfollow and they're getting sick of the ads we're posting. So we started investing our resources in making um, accounts that are evergreen and the first one with EarthPix, which pretty much posts, you know, just great travel photos. Um, and then we made History and Pics, which just posts awesome photos from history that you wouldn't expect to exist. Um, and, you know, we weren't really monetizing them just yet because we thought, OK, we're going to hurt the audience if we post Jessica Simpson or, you know, check out this new song or whatever it was. So we wanted to find a way to monetize the audience in a way that wouldn't hurt engagement. Uh, so then we uh, partnered with a business person in LA who uh, created a site um, that... They created content around the accounts, so it was more like native advertisements. So there'd be an art, we would create an article, a listicle, like you know, check out the sixteen greatest underground restaurants in the world, and then we would share that on EarthPix. So if you're following EarthPix, it's probably content you're already interested in. There's ads on the site, so we're monetizing it, and because you're engaged and you're staying on the site a longer time, it's a higher CPM too, which is how much you get paid per thousand visitors. So it was just, it was truly a rare win-win situation. You know, it, it's better for our followers and it's better for us because not only are we going to make more ad revenue, we're also going to keep our following and let mm -hmm. them stay engaged and grow. So, And by the way, you can actually still find at EarthPix on Twitter. Yep, yeah, at EarthPix still on Twitter. Another uh, one was at History and Picks. Yep, at History and Picks. Uh, at EarthPix is probably the better one on Instagram. Um, so, you know, yeah, definitely check them out and... Yeah, so that's sort of, uh, we started working with this you know, person in LA monetizing our content through more native advertisements and then we had some friends with the same situation so we onboarded them and uh, before we knew it we had a million dollars in revenue so we thought okay this is something, this is a real business and that's when I actually started le learning about business processes and financing and you know what a real business actually meant and that this, you know, the internet is a real business, it doesn't have to be, you know... <clears throat> hard hard work or like you know manual work or like I don't have to be an accountant to be a real person <laughs> so um yeah so you know done that and then partnered with a person in LA and then we reached out to some venture capitalists all through Twitter they were just following us so we would DM mm -hmm. them and say hey mm -hmm. here's our account you know what do you think and uh I had a couple of people automatically said uh where do I wire the money and but we're just like, no, you know, we just, we just sort of wanted bigger investors because they were quite small checks. So we, we actually turned away a bit of money at the start. But uh, you know, So they were trying to buy you, you're saying? Not, not buy it, but invest. Oh, invest. Invest, okay. yeah. But they, were, they weren't tiny checks, but they were definitely on the smaller end. So we, were, we sort of just wanted more big, bigger investors. So we, we just kept trying. And uh, luckily, we were in, uh, invited into the 500 Startups Incubator Program, their batch eight. Oh. And, uh, yeah, we, we went through that. Um, so fi that's based in the based U.S.? Based in San Francisco. Uh, I was still in high school at the time, so I was telecommuting to do that. <laughs> and that was uh, at the beginning of 2014, around January to around April 2014. Um, so, we, you know, in 500 startups, but hadn't really closed our seed round, um, had a few angels and whatnot. But um, so over that course of that year, we started building out the product more and building out what you know, what we'd eventually become and uh, hired David Nemitz as our president. Uh, David Nemitz before co-founder Bleach Report and ended up selling that to 
I believe, Time Warner. So, um, you know, he was quite experienced in the media game and to have him join was definitely a big plus. And then uh, by and the you end, were communicating with him remotely, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. We were just, you know, Skyping every now and then. Um, I'd met him once uh, when I came out just to visit America and I uh, caught up with him. But, again, it was all over email and Skype and whatnot. Slack Slack was just released at the time, so, you know, still a new tool, but we'll, you're using it pretty often. <coughs> and then, uh, yeah, by the end of 2014, we had closed our round of about $2 million from uh, quite a few different investors, and uh, I decided to move to LA, so graduated high school, and the, a week later I was on the plane, uh, yeah, to LA. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, do you still... Own the company, or no, you eventually sold it? No, uh, I, I, the company's not sold, but uh, yeah, I don't have any holdings in the company anymore. And it's now called All Day Media, yeah, it's correct? Now All Day Media, yeah. So you came out to LA, and you already had sort of this uh, existing business and this sort of uh, trajectory for yourself. So, what made you decide that you wanted to take some time away from that, possibly, and take some time to focus on academics again. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'd sort of graduated high school and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. It was something that I'd thought a lot about it, particularly towards the end of my senior year in high school, is do I want to go to college or not? And, you know, I thought, well, you know, we've got this tech story of all these great people dropping out and, you know, <laughs> starting these billion-dollar companies, but they're not dropping out of community college. They're dropping out of Stanford and Harvard. And if you get into those schools, you're probably smarter than 99% <laughs> of the people that graduate college anyway. So that sort of, like, put me off. And the only good example I heard of of someone not going to college and being quite successful was Sean Parker. Um, but it was really far and few between of people who did and didn't go to college. The other person, the only other person I know and I've really looked in depth to this was uh, the guy who made Flipbook. Am I, that the, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so he, yeah, he didn't go to college either. So they, those were the only two people I could find, but everyone... So you really did your research. Yeah, really did my research, <laughs> and it was just so troubling because, you know, we've got this uh, view of metocracy and whatnot in Silicon Valley, but it's all from like Ivy Leagues and MIT and Stanford, which was like really troubling. Like, okay, yeah, you're dropping out of school, but it's like, if you went to Princeton for two years, you know, you've already got that fantastic network. Um, So, but I didn't really want to go to college for that. Um, I thought about the social aspect of a lot more and that's what my parents were sort of pushing for me. They're like, you know, we support you no matter what you do, but just for yourself, we really want you to go because that's just a social aspect that they never got. They didn't get to go to college. And that they just they think okay you're probably gonna you know wish you did because it's just a social aspect that you can't get back um, yeah so w- again but wasn't too sure if I want to go to college or not when I came out here and then um, you know I had applied to a few before I came to the US uh, just to see I took the SAT which isn't common in Australia and um, you know did the common application all that stuff which again isn't you know common in Australia in Australia you just get a mark and you're placed into different colleges based on that mark. So there's no, you know, essay, there's no, um, you know, what's your favourite colour or did your parents go to college or none of that stuff It's matters. just your grades, right? It's just your grades, yeah. yeah. I, so, I, you just reminded me of those, like, really quick questions that they asked. It was like, why are you asking me my favourite yeah, cartoon character? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, wait, why, what am I going to say to my roommate on the first day? Like, yeah. <laughs> She's notorious for these questions. Yeah, yeah. Quick takes. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm not going to get into college because my favourite colour is blue. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, done all that stuff and 
I was, I was pretty hopeful. I actually, I thought uh, David, David, our president, had gone to USC and I toured it and I just fell in love instantly. You know, I knew this was a school for me. And uh, so I was pretty hopeful that I would get into USC and, um, you know, toured and really tried, contacted a lot of alumni, contacted, um, you know, a lot of faculty and, you know, it felt like I had a good chance. Um, but come, uh, when, when are decisions released? Like April, is it? March, March, even. Even. End of March, March. Yeah. end of March, yeah. could have been March. So you know, <laughs> um, decisions were released in March, and I, I did think I have a good chance. My SATs weren't great, but they definitely weren't horrible. My GPA wasn't bad, and then on top of this, I've, you know, uh, done quite a bit with extracurricular with this, you know, company and raising capital and all that type of stuff. So I, again, yeah, thought I had a good chance. So you know, that first day. Um, I was in LA, so I thought, okay, if I'm going to get accepted, I'm probably going to get the letter today, but maybe, maybe tomorrow. So, you know, I was waiting at the office. I put the address to the office just so I could get it at that time. And, um, you know, about two o'clock, and the, the mail comes. I'm just like, it's not here. I'm, so, <laughs> so I thought, okay, but maybe, maybe I'm, you know, accepted still. And then uh, I'm like, okay. And then I, then I go on the common application, like, no, 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 sorry, the College Confidential, like, I live on that yeah. site, and I find out that um, the acceptance is a priority, and then the rejections are standard mail or something like that. Mm. So, so then I'm like, okay, well, there's only one way to find out. So I call up USC and I said, did I get rejected? And they said, um, you know, we, we can't talk, like, we just can't answer that question. Like, did I get accepted or rejected? We just can't tell you. And I said is my male priority, or whatever the better one was. And they said, uh, no. And I said, why? <laughs> and they said, unfortunately, not all students can get priority. And I said, OK, thank you. Like, <laughs> so at least, she, at least she was, like, good enough to tell me, not leave me in torture. It's weird that that's where the filter is. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, we can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I never got that rejection letter either. <laughs> So, but, you know, about a week later, it goes on the portal and you can view your decision online. So I got that and I just thought, you know, screw USC because I got into, <laughs> I got into Claremont McKenna and I'm like, by every measure, this is a better school. Like, you know, uh -huh. um, you know, single-digit acceptance, I cared about that. Like, that actually meant, you know, much. But I thought, yeah, screw USC if they don't want me. And But I also thought, like, I don't even really want to go to college if I'm not going to USC. So I just wanted to get accepted. Um... But I, I did go to the orientation day for Claremont McKenna and I met quite a few students who had got into Claremont McKenna but not USC, which was quite surprising too. And, you know, spoke to a few kids and spoke to a venture capitalist in LA. His son didn't get into USC, but he got into Claremont McKenna and he's just like, yeah, I mean, you could appeal USC, but, like, it's pretty low and, you know, who really cares about it? But I thought, you know, I just, uh, I love USC and one of the kids got accepted into both USC and Claremont McKenna and he just come from the USC orientation the day before and he was describing it to me. I'm just like, I need to go here. Like, yeah, there's just no doubt. And uh, so luckily I had met uh, the, one of the directors of the Grife department, uh, David Belasco, Professor Belasco, before um, I was rejected. And, you know, he, he reached out to me and he said, you know, I think you should appeal this decision. You know, you're a great fit for USC. And uh, one, he's a big believer in running the entrepreneurship department like a sports team, which I think is you know, quite smart. So he's like, if we want the best entrepreneurs, we should be recruiting them. 
So thankfully, you know, he helped get my appeal in front of the right people and they reviewed it and they said, OK, we, we were missing a lot of material when we re reviewed your application last time. They were missing material? Yeah, so what had happened is I had applied directly to the Iovine and Young Academy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, that, that academy's created for me. Like, you know, I went there and I'm like, I'm in. Absolutely, like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was like, you know, definitely cocky. Like, this program is me, you know, as a program. And, um, and in, my, in Australia, our version of the SAT, I scored really well in, especially one section I scored, you know, very, very, very highly in. So I thought, OK, even my SAT's not that great, uh, you know, this score will help pull it over. And um, then I got back my letter from the Ivina Young Academy before the general USC acceptances and whatnot. And uh, they're like, yeah, we're sorry, we're rejecting you. You're not even getting to the interview process. I'm like, what? But, uh, and, I th and they said, oh, we're going to pass all your materials along. Mm. Don't worry. But uh, nothing got passed along to general admission. So all they had oh. was my GPA and my SATs. They didn't know about, you know, the startup stuff. They didn't know about my... Um, you know, test scores in Australia. They hadn't seen letters of recommendation. So, mm. you know, yeah, they, they were missing out on a lot of material that I think, you know, yeah, I, I do, yeah, that's what I, why I believe I got in the full on appeal because, to, yeah, appeals are very low acceptance. I think it's either four or five percent, and then most of them are spring appeals. So I got very fortunate that I came in the fall. Mm. Yeah, what a story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Always got to give yourself a chance. There we go, absolutely. That's one thing. Yeah. I was, yeah, I've really learned is just to, you know, never give up and, like, you, you're normally always just just about to achieve if you feel like you're about to give up, so keep going. If I hadn't applied, you know, appealed to USC, I could have easily, you know, just been prideful and been like, no, if USC doesn't want me, I don't want it. But, um, you know, it would have been a horrible decision and definitely had the best year of my life, you know, here, so, so happy that I, you know, took them 10 minutes to appeal it. Yeah, my brother actually got an off an appeal. So, there we go. There we go. Ah, got absolutely. it. <laughs> we have fifty percent of the appeal uh, passers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reference too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, absolutely. And it almost feels better when you get out on appeal. You know, like it's just. It oh, does. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just such an incredible feeling. But it does suck that you've missed out on housing completely, and like you've missed out on that joy of like everyone getting in and everyone posting in that USC group. Like yes, we got in, let's go. <laughs> and, like I had to like remove myself from that group because I just got so upset whenever I see a post. <laughs> and I'm just like, like, you know, on College Confidential, a lot of people would be like, oh, I didn't get in, but I'm so happy for everyone that did get, that got in. I'm just like, no, I hate, you. I, hate I hate you all. I should be at this school. <laughs> so. Nice. So, before we wrap up, you made a fitness app, correct? Yeah, that, yeah. That completely just didn't get mentioned in this whole yeah, conversation. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so, um, in about, about 20, 2010 or 2011, um, I come across this trend on Tumblr, which was Fitspiration and Fitspo, and it became you know really popular. A lot of girls in my high school... It started, you know, sharing these posts, and I thought, why isn't there an... Actually, I really wanted to make an app, and I experimented with a couple sound boards. I was taking some IT class, which was pretty easy. But it was just basic stuff, like the sound boards. And then I thought, you know, why isn't there an app around Fitspiration? Like, I know fitness sells, and, you know, I feel like every teen girl would want an app that has all these fitness pictures on their phone. <clears throat> so I, uh, I, w I went on a site called Odesk, and, uh, you know, found a developer in China 
and uh, you know, posted a description for the app. He said, I will make this in 24 hours for $1,000. And I said, all right, you got yourself a deal. So <laughs> made it in 24 hours, we uploaded it, and, um, you know, and then from there I'm like, okay, so how do I market this? And initially I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the, go to the teen girls. But it d didn't really work at first, you know. So I thought, okay, well, who else wants to get fit? And that's when I thought of mums, you know. And young mums too, you know, 30 to 40-year-old mums. Um, so I found some Facebook pages with that sort of demographic and they were like healthy eating and great recipes and exercise routines and all those on Facebook. And again, this was before a lot of people were doing internet marketing. So I was getting promotions on pages with 100,000 likes for $20. And, um, you know, so I, I did about that. I spent a couple hundred dollars and I woke up the next morning and I checked iTunes just to listen to some music. <laughs> and I, I was on the App Store page. On the side, I see Fitspiration as the number three top paid app. <laughs> and I thought, oh, OK, it just says that because it knows I made it, like it's just showing Trying that there. Your, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know it, just like it just does that, you know, whatever. But then I'm like, <laughs> I better check. And I'm like... I went on my sister's computer and I start freaking out. I call my parents. I'm like, this is insane. I think it hit, like, oh number one God. in Ireland. You know, Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, that we got there. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, just, like, <laughs> couldn't believe it and told a couple of friends at school and I was just like, yeah, it was wild. But I severely regret that app for the sole reason that whenever I was at a party, drunk people would come up to me and, like, I have the best idea. Let's go 50-50. Oh, like, God. Get, number one, your idea is horrible. And number two, like, your idea is not worth 50% of an application. <laughs> like, yeah, so for that sole reason, the amount of money was those not are, worth it. Those are the it. type of problems you want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think not so much. But, <laughs> but no, no, you're right. A good problem to have, but it's still a problem nonetheless. So, you know, did that app and it got quite a bit of traction and then, you know, experimented with a couple more apps, but apps are just such a hard, just, yeah, so hard to be successful at. Uh, I tried a couple apps after that and, you know, Fitspiration was the only one I made money from and I pretty much lost everything in that, in a succession of, like, ten other apps I tried. I just <laughs> lost on all of them. And even one was trending. Uh, when you went search, you know, you go to search, it was the first one. Yeah. And a friend in New York's like, how'd you do this? I'm like, I don't even know. But that, <laughs> that, that app didn't even break even. It wasn't even that expensive. So apps are just such a hard game to yeah. win at. I, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't do them again. It, you didn't break even on it? I didn't break even on it. The only oh. one I made money from was Fitspiration, and luckily that covered the losses of the rest. But, mm. you know, yeah, overall, yeah, apps, don't do them. Yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, if you don't know how to program them. Just yeah. To, uh, speaking of, I've, I've been meaning to tell you, there's this app that I've been uh, trying to work on. Uh, if you want, like, a 10% stake to do <laughs> all of my marketing uh, and also find a developer and also... Yeah. It's, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. If you could pay for it, too, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I got the idea. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's Instagram for Ubers. Can we throw in Tinder there too? It's, yeah, like yeah. We, we we go through like an Instagram feed, but we swipe what Uber we want. Right, it's pictures <laughs> of Ubers, and you swipe through the yeah, feed. Or a coffee meets bagel. We only get one Uber a day, and we can decide if we want it or not. But it could be like a, it could be like a Rolls Royce or like just you know a horrible horrible car. We should just make like an app wheel and then spin it, and whichever two yes. we get, we make a combination. We partner with that Lucky Day kid. Like you, you, do a scratch, you do a scratch and win on Ubers. Like I'm sorry, there's three wheels on this car. Like good. <laughs> and it will actually show up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, 
Anyways, we are almost wrapping up. We've had a great time in the studio. Thank you so much. But, as always, before we finish, <laughs> I, you, pro you may or may not know what's coming, but we have our very own lightning round coming up. <laughs> Insert sound <laughs> So, to start things off, we have we're, we're at, we have eleven questions we're about to rattle off oh, and pepper you I with. Know if I'm ready for that. So, we'll, we'll keep it quick. If you want to elaborate, by all means elaborate. But uh, we're just gonna go right through them. So first off, you've done a lot of social media stuff. You personally, which one do you like more to go on for just normal browsing? Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Instagram. Why? Uh, just funny and memes. <laughs> Back to the roots. Yeah, Facebook's just a bunch of cooking videos. I don't need to watch that. I'm trying to trying to get on a diet. I don't need to see like just BuzzFeed oh, make pure lard. <laughs> yeah. Okay, second question. Um, do you read books? And if so, what's one of your favorites? Uh, I don't read books, but my favorite would be uh, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Ah. Oh. Nice. Um, Australia or America? Damn, if I want to be Prime Minister, this is going to come back to haunt me, but America. <laughs> and why, why America? Just, uh, it's just a lot more liberal and there's a lot more opportunities and so much more diverse and it's a culture that, you know, rewards risk. While in Australia, it's sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, be an underdog, be for the people and, mm. yeah, so America's just like, if, if you're successful, you're treated like a rock star in Australia, it's probably the opposite. Mm. Wow. Pet peeve. Yeah, upper peeve, bad breath. <laughs> Favorite life hack for emailing? Because um, you said you emailed yeah, all these. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just be short because it normally means that you're important. If someone emails me and they're pretty cursed, I'll think, okay, they got stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, would you rather be famous or wealthy? Famous, because then I can monetize that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of at the root of everything you were talking about. It yeah, was always yeah. virality first. Yeah. And everything. There we go. Yeah. One thing you miss about Australia, I know you just bashed it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we have this ice cream in Australia called Golden Gay Times, and I know the name might be like, what? But absolutely the best food in existence. You Golden know, just, Gay Times? Golden Gay Times. It's like this oh. car like caramel... Not even really caramel. I don't even. It's just so hard to describe. But it's absolutely the best thing ever. I was. I'm going to get my parents to ship some over some dry ice. Like I'm that serious about getting some. Duly noted when I'm in Australia. Yeah, Australians um, are big on their ice cream. Is it? There's a big Facebook group called Blokes and Their Ice Cream, which has about ten thousand guys in Australia, and we just post photos of us eating ice cream. So we've got a big ice cream culture. Um, what about something that you are not so fond of in the U.S.? Tipping. Tipping? No, tipping. Oh, tipping. Oh, tipping. meant like tipping cows. Like, I hate when people tip all my cows. Like, I wake up for these hooligans. But yeah, hooligans. In Australia, it's like factored into the price already, so I don't have to feel bad. Mm. Cow tipping's factored in? Yeah. <laughs> That's why the price of milk's so high. Right. Right. But yeah, no, I just think tipping's pretty pretty stupid because it just allows like restaurant owners to get away with like paying their employees less mm. Mm. true yeah <laughs> I, I agree um what's um how does it feel to have a wikipedia page 
it, it keeps me up at night. You know, what happens yeah. if someone edits that? What happens if all my secrets have you, are... Have you checked it recently? I'm going to go for a minute. I'll be back in a couple minutes. No, but uh, actually one case is these kids in high school did tamper with it and I know it was them because they were, like, putting their nicknames in it and I confronted them about it. I'm like... I'm super sorry, man, but uh, my law firm just alerted me that you did this and, that, you know, I'm, I'll see what I can do, but they're going to be sending you some letters. I'll, I'll keep you updated. And they're like, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> God damn it. Can you do an American accent, bro? I don't want to embarrass myself. So. But I'll, I'll try. I was like, oh, my God, can, like, we go get some Starbucks? <laughs> that was good. Like, hey, that's that's southern yeah. I feel like I'd be a southern southern yeah. girl if I was American. That's yeah. definitely what that made me think of. You spirit animal. Yes. Um, <laughs> last question. Is water wet? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like the wettest thing there is. Right, yeah. Isn't it? Yep. Um, I, I don't want to end on that note. That's um, <laughs> uh, hot dogs. Are uh, they sandwiches? Yes. And why? Why? Two bread and some meat in there. I call that a sandwich. All right. Wow. Short I think you're, you're one of the point. first people to say. Most yeah. Most people just instinctively say no. You, myself included. What do you think? What do you yeah, you think of a no? I think it's a sandwich. I think it's a sandwich. What makes you think it's not a sandwich? It's the orientation. That's, I say that every time, but you don't you you never eat bun. another sandwich facing up. And I'm not saying that's, that's what makes that's it a hot true. dog. It's just what makes it not a sandwich. That's true. Yeah, I, I say that. Yeah. Anyways, we'll revisit this topic soon. Yeah, I'll look more into that. Uh, before we wrap up, thank you guys so much for being Ooh. in the studio today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, had a great time. Of course, we love doing great. it. Uh, you had a lot of things to say, and I think really big takeaway here is I hope our listeners got a sense of Xavier's street smart and just how yeah. things sort of come naturally to him, kind of like you're in the right place, right time, well, know what I'm to do. I'm a lucky guy. I'm here. But right. I think it's more than luck, though. Yeah, where, it's, it's, where there is, yeah. 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 I'm always, my brain's always thinking, like, how can I make money from this? Which is, <laughs> it's, a, it's sick and it's horrible, but it works. <laughs> uh, so... It's impressive. Anyways, if you guys want to send us any suggestions for guests we should interview, comments, if you have anything, if you have an answer to the hot dog question even, I'm really e- email us at uh, xm at sparkasc.org. Anyways. I just added to my Wikipedia and just put yeah, in the early life section about <laughs> the hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways, signing off, I'm Mark Pokervon. I'm Ricky Hu. Grant Glenner. And I'm Xavier DePetta. Thank you for listening. Of course. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye.